0: If you have your uh, Bible with you this morning, please turn to Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. And as we go through Advent season this year, as a church, we're going to be looking at the Isaiah passages that are uh, laid out for the span of the season. Isaiah is a, a great book for Advent. It's for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's the most frequently quoted Old Testament book. In the New Testament. um, When St. Augustine asked uh, Ambrose, where should I start in terms of reading the Bible? Uh, It's a big book, lots of options. Um, Ambrose said, start in the book of Isaiah. That should be the first book that you read. The church fathers, like Eusebius and Jerome and Augustine, regarded Isaiah not only as the first and greatest of the prophets, but as the first apostle and evangelist. There are these. Themes that run through Isaiah around the Messiah and messianic hope um, around Zion. This, this view of Zion somehow being exalted in ways that stretch the imagination and difficult to, uh, to see. That we can see much more clearly now looking back. The nations are a huge theme in the book of Isaiah. And the outstretched hand of the Lord, the arm of of the Lord being stretched out to bring salvation to the world. So, Isaiah makes a lot of sense for Advent, and it's also written to people who are weary. It's written to people who are sad. I there's a lot of different ways to be weary. We're very weary. I think as a nation, as a world, we're weary. Um, COVID was exhausting and still is. I think in many ways people are just starting to kind of get some of those muscles back of having people over and being out and about and having energy to do normal things. We're weary, but and not to mention lots of other reasons. But, but there's also this sadness that you pick up in the book of Isaiah as you read through it and as you put yourself into it because a lot of the stuff that's wrong in Israel at the time, it's their fault. Like they made a mess of things, right? There's a sadness that comes, there's a weariness that comes with brokenness. And then added to that, there can also be a sadness if that brokenness, you're culpable for it. That's a different kind of weariness and that's happening here. And they're kind of at a loss. Like how do we even fix this? It's so far gone. Um, that we have no idea how to get it back. But these people have hope. God is coming and announcing there's hope. Now, I'm going to give you some specific instructions, and you've got specific work to do in order to make preparation for my coming. And when I come, I'm going to make things better. And so that's the other side of the coin here, and that's the Advent Kind of theme that we get to experience, both of those themes, the context of weariness and sadness and confusion, and maybe even hopelessness, and then into that, God speaking this word of hope along with some specific instructions that we're going to consider today as we as a congregation observe this season together, not individually only, but as we walk through this together, we're going to hear these words Together, So together, let's sit under Isaiah's prophecy um, as we bring ourselves, perhaps weary, perhaps sad, perhaps just kind of run down. Um, let's bring ourselves under this prophecy in order to hope and in order to be trained how to wait on the Lord to fulfill his promises, to restore and reconcile and heal and to make all things right. Let's come under this prophecy to learn how to prepare for his imminent return, this intersection of Almighty God, the Holy One of Israel, who's going to be in our midst in person. We can learn how to prepare for him, to receive him in all of his holiness and justice and mercy and love and faithfulness. So, as we open um, the scriptures to Isaiah, It's a really long book. It's broken into three separate books. Some commentators, a lot of commentators, refer to Isaiah as first, second, third Isaiah, the way that we have multiple books for Chronicles or Kings or or Corinthians or something like that. So it's these three distinct movements or or even periods of time. And in these um, different, all three of these different sections, the nations are really important, and the nations are the backdrop of this first book of Isaiah that we're looking at, and in particular, um, chapters one one through two, through two verse five, is the summary of Isaiah. It has all the DNA locked into it, um, and you you hear a lot about the nations and it's not peaceful. You know, as we, as we read about the nations, it's not like um, all these people getting um, together and learning about each other's cultures and, and being at peace with each other. As we read about the nations and Israel's place in the world, it's not peaceful. There's conflict and there are these broken treaties and betrayals and conquests and wars and exiles. We also see this theme of kings different kings. There's this one king that's important in Isaiah. His name is Ahaz. And He makes this treaty with Assyria. He basically sells out his confidence in Yahweh to be the God of Israel and to look after them and to to manage their lot the way that we hear David talking about in Psalm 16. He doesn't buy into any of that. He says, you know what, if we're going to make it, we're going to have to figure out a way to do this ourselves. So let's make some treaties with some other powerful countries and that way we can have safety and security and peace and shalom. So that's what Ahaz does, and that's kind of the headwaters of this massive unraveling. But then you get to Hezekiah. Hezekiah meet, hears the prophecy of the Lord later on at the same exact place, the, the same exact, this, this road to the, where this person who works with soap. Um, it's a really specific reference to where these meetings occur. The first with Ahaz, who totally messes it up for Israel. And, and, then, the, and then later on, Hezekiah meets the prophet at the same exact place. But Hezekiah, when he hears the words of the prophet, he repent, he, he, he's broken, tears his clothes and puts on sackcloth and prays to God that he would deliver them and leans into God completely. And Isaiah is training us to think of kings this way, that maybe, somehow, if someone from a royal house is faithful to God, then the intercessions of that person might stem God's judgment for a whole people. And and maybe if if a faithful, righteous person from a royal house will do the right thing by God, maybe we can have peace. So Isaiah is training us to lean and put a lot of kind of PSI on the the goodness or badness of these kings. And, And don't we see later when Jesus cries out, it is finished, that Based on all of his intercessions and everything leading up to that moment, that when he cries out, it is finished. In that moment, the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom. It's, it's all rooted here in Isaiah. Maybe that's why Ambrose told um, Augustine to start here, so that he'd be able to understand things like that when he got to them in the New Testament. Zion is another huge theme. Just a quick overview here, bear with me. I'm almost done with this part, and then we'll get right into the text. But Zion's a huge theme, that somehow God's gonna use Zion, either literally or somehow this figure of Zion, to, um, t- to work his um, redemptive work in the whole world, and we're gonna see that unfold in a few different ways in the New Testament, and, and as we move through these four passages of Isaiah that we're going to be looking at this month. Jesus comes and, and, and in a lot of ways fulfills this idea of Zion. He personifies it. So like when Jesus says, tear down this temple and in three days I'll build it up, you see there's this kind of transfer happening where we, we've always imagined the temple being this thing that's built with hands and it's a certain thing and Jesus is stepping into that and he's identifying himself in a certain way. That's going to be really important. But chapters 1, 1 through 2, 5, they give us this whole backdrop or this whole, um, uh, the, the contents of Isaiah together. The whole of the first chapter is just judgment. It's, it's you know, this very honest, frank, succinct, you know, you've blown it. Um, there's, there's, this place is a mess and, and it's, it's your fault. There's hope woven into that. Some famous passages like the one about let's reason together though your sins are this way, they're gonna be white as snow. That's in there, so it's not without hope, but mostly it's just that they're in a bad way. And then we get to chapter two, verses one through five, and this is where the thing turns. Against this backdrop of sadness and weariness and guilt and confusion, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. Of the Lord. That's the invitation for us this morning as a church, as a people, as a world. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And Isaiah gives us three specific ways to do this as we begin our advent together. The first is in verse two, and the second is in verse three, and the third is in verse four. First, we see this. Worldwide attraction. Somehow Zion is going to be this place of worldwide attraction. And then, second, it's this place of valued truth. And third, it's this place of perfect peace. So, look at verse 2 again. This place of worldwide attraction. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Somehow God's going to do something with Zion. And again, I, I think when you hear Zion, you can start to think, Jesus, the Messiah. That that when God comes, he's going to lift Zion up so high that everyone can see it and people will be attracted to it and all the nations will flow to it. You think of the Magi coming to see Jesus from far away. You think of um, chapter one, verse eight of Acts that says, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high and then be my disciples. Go into all the world starting in Judea and um, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the world. You think of Jesus meeting with Nicodemus in the middle of the night and explaining to Nicodemus some of the things that are going to take place. And one of the things that Jesus says is that when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. If you flip back a page in Isaiah and look at verse 1, chapter 16, we start to get a sense for, so what can we do now? in light of this attraction, in light of Jesus being lifted up as this attractive one who's going to draw all nations, how can we participate? How can you participate in that? this advent? In verse 116, the prophet says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. If Jesus is really worth it, such that all the nations are gonna come to him. If Jesus is really worth it, such that if you've got all this other stuff going on and all these other things that you could do and all these other places that you could go to be happy or to be secure or to be safe or to find pleasure or satisfaction, but you see this mountain of Zion lifted up so high and you see it and you think, well, I wanna go there. That's better. That's better than anything else that I have. Advent is an opportunity for us to take time to be quiet, to sit at his feet, and, and essentially to allow him to gather you, to allow yourself to be gathered to him, to allow yourself to move closer to him, knowing that by moving closer to him, he will search you and try you and see if there be any hurtful way in you in order that he might lead you in the everlasting way. But that's one way that we can participate in this, Thing that God is ultimately going to do that he begins doing with the birth of Jesus and will finally bring to completion in the return of Jesus is to accept and participate in the fact that Jesus is the most attractive. There's nothing else that's better than him. There's no one else that is truer than him and we can allow him to gather us. The second the second way that we can participate in Advent according to Isaiah chapter 2 is that we can recognize what he says here, that, that Zion will be lifted up and become something that, that will be undeniably this valued truth among the nations. And that's an awkward way to say it. I tried really hard to say that a better way. I couldn't think of a better way to say it. Um, you think like, okay, everybody talks about Jesus being the truth or there's this truth or there's that truth. And right now, in our culture, Jesus isn't very valuable in terms of a person of truth, right? I mean, Christianity is not valued, it's not esteemed. Somehow, what Isaiah is saying is, there is coming a time, in verse two, or I'm sorry, in verse three, many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. And that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There's coming a time when God's wisdom in Jesus Christ will be recognized and it will be valued better than silver or gold or rubies, as Solomon says. These folks are saying, let's go to Zion where the word of the Lord flows out like water from a rock. Let's go there and let God teach us how to live. We don't know how to live, but there's a place where we can go where his word flows out. And it's good and it's true and you can trust it. That day is coming when this truth will be valued by the world We've got some simple ways to do this, again, as we participate in Advent together. One great way is our Advent devotional. And these are available. um, There are a bunch more. These got printed this this week. So these will be available out back in different ways. Laura will tell you where to find one during the announcements. But grab one of these if you haven't already. This is um, a way that you can use the season of Advent to use these readings morning and evening. They'll take you through the whole story of the Bible kind of in an overview. And, and they'll start at the beginning and work their way through the entire story of scripture. So you can be finding yourself in that. And there are other ways to participate too um, with, um, with the Jesse tree and things like that. But grab one of these. And as we allow God to gather us, we do that in, in agreement that his word is valuable and it's here to train us and to change us. And then third and finally, chapter four, I'm sorry, chapter two, verse four. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This passage, this verse, helps us to see that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has come. And we anticipate his birth, but we look forward to the day when he comes back for real, finally, to make all things right and to make good on this promise. We can yearn for the day when there's no more war. We can yearn for the day when instead of coming up using our engineering prowess to come up with better ways to kill each other and learn how to do that, that we can learn how to feed each other and nourish each other and take care of each other. So let's take this Advent to pray for peace, to pray for the world. We can use this Advent season to pray for our friends who aren't walking with the Lord and our neighbors and for our city, that all the nations will flow to Christ. And we can pray, God, help me be a conduit of that. It's also an opportunity for us to give alms. There will be several times during Advent to participate in giving alms through the Rector's Discretionary Fund, certainly through Pax for Nuba, which I'm sure we'll be hearing more about as um, Advent unfolds. But be prepared to pray for peace and be prepared to pray about what specifically you can do to be a conduit of peace, both in your neighborhood, but also with your financial resources to help to bring this peace and justice to the world. So into our weariness and into our sadness and into our confusion that we bring into this day, God speaks these words of hope. He lifts our faces to see that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.